This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. It is a genuine pleasure to be with you today on Getting to Know Your Bible, and we do appreciate those of you who are watching at this time. We have so many people who call us or write to us and let us know that they're watching our telecast. This may be your very first time. We want you to become a regular uh, viewer of Getting to Know Your Bible. And today on our telecast, we're going to be talking about the great name. The great name. There's a name that's a great name, the greatest name that an individual could ever wear. And we want to talk about that name today. On our program today, we're offering a free Bible correspondence course, and I'd like to emphasize the fact that there is no cost, no charge for this course. It is free, and it's designed to help you get to know more about your Bible. And we'd like to pause at this time so you could learn more about the course itself, so you can learn how to receive it. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible correspondence course. This course is non-denominational, it's based on the Bible, it's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214. I'd like to read now from Isaiah, the 62nd chapter, in verse number 2. And the Gentiles shall see thy righteousness, and all kings thy glory, and thou shalt be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord shall name. Names are given to distinguish between people, between things. We give names to cities. We give names to our children. We, I, I've even given names to automobiles that I've driven. You may think that's silly. I remember one, it was a rather aggravating automobile, and I call that one Jezebel. That wasn't a very, uh, very complimentary name. But we, God also is interested in names. And there is a name by which God's people are to be called. And the name by which God's people are called is designed to give glory to God. Notice the prophet in Isaiah 62 and 2 again. He says that the Lord would give a new name, a new name which the mouth of the Lord would name. And so here is a prediction that God would give a new name to his people. What do you suppose that new name would be? Well, someone might say, well, Brother Lambert, it it might be that that word is the word saint. 
Well, it is true that God's people are referred to as saints in the New Testament. In Philippians, the first chapter in verse 1, Paul and Timotheus, to the saints which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. And so they are referred to there as being saints. And that word saint just simply means someone who has been set apart. But is that the new name? Is that the name that we're to wear today? Well, it would not be the new name because we read about that word also in the Old Testament. Like in Psalms 116, verse 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. So that's not the new name. Well, someone may think, well, that new name is the word disciple. Well, God's people are referred to as being disciples in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 5 and verses 1 and 2, well, they, Jesus went up into a mount, and, and when he sat down, the Bible says that the disciples came unto him. So the word disciple is found throughout the New Testament. So, so is that the new name? Well, it must not be the new name because we read about that name in the book of Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 16. Bind up the, the, the testimony and seal the law among my disciples. And so the word is also found in the Old Testament as well. Someone will say, well, maybe the, the new name is the name brethren. Well, God's people are referred to as brethren or brothers in the New Testament. Well, like in Galatians 6 and 1, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. And so God's people are referred to as being brothers or brethren in the New Testament. But is that the new name? Well, it must not be because we read about that name also in the Old Testament. In Psalms 133, verse 1, Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren, that is brothers, to dwell together in unity. So the word brethren or brothers is not the new name. Well, what about the name or designation sons of God or children of God? Well, it is the case that God's people are so referred to in the New Testament as in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. Behold how good and uh, rather he says what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God or the sons of God. So in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1 God's people are referred to as being the sons of God. But is that the new name? Well, it must not be because they're referred to like that in the book of Genesis chapter 6 in verse number 1 and following. When the sons of God saw the daughters of men, we're told. And so they're referred to as being sons of God also in the Old Testament. So what is that new name? I find it interesting that in Acts chapter 11 in verse 26... The Bible says that the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Now the thing that is interesting about that is that that comes after Peter had preached the gospel to the Gentiles at the house of Cornelius. 
That is, the Gentiles had seen the righteousness of God. That's the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah chapter 62 and in verse number 2. And it was then that the disciples were called Christians. And it was Antioch where this was done. Now, I know some people say, well, they, they were called Christians in derision. Well, I want you to notice the prophecy in Isaiah 62 and verse 2 again. He said, Thou shalt be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord shall name. This was a name that God would give to the people. There's a word that in the Greek that is translated, were called in the English, and it's also used in other places in the New Testament. And that word means to be divinely warned, to be divinely instructed. When the Bible says that they were called Christians, they were divinely so called. It was not given to them as a nickname. It was not given to them in derision. But the mouth of the Lord gave that name. It was a divinely given name. And it was a name of distinction. And it was used to identify the people who wore that name. And when you say that I am a Christian, there, there are certain things that that implies. And one of the greatest things that it implies is that I'm trying to live my life like Jesus Christ. I am a Christian. You may point to some individual who is out in the middle of, a, middle of a field on a tractor pulling a plow. And you say that man is a farmer. And that man is a farmer because he's farming. That's his occupation. Now suppose that man ceases to operate a farm. You might refer to him as someone who used to be a farmer. He, he, that used to be his occupation. Here's an individual has on a white uniform and they're working in a hospital. And you might refer to that individual and say that that person is a nurse. That man or that woman is a nurse. And they're working in the hospital and they're helping sick people. That's what they do for a living. That's their occupation. And here's an individual who is living a good life doing kind things and living uh, the kind of a life that the Bible talks about. They've given their life to Jesus Christ. And we refer to that individual as being a Christian because they are a follower. They are a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we say that I am a Christian, it implies that I'm trying to to live my life as near as I possibly can, like the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's a lot more to being a Christian than wearing the name. There was a little boy on a train many years ago, and, and he was calling out, I have hot chicken sandwiches for sale. Hot chicken sandwiches for sale. And as a man stopped him and he said, I'd like to buy one of your sandwiches. And the little boy went on his way and he went to the next car and later he came back through and the man stopped him. He said, son, 
You said this was a hot chicken sandwich. He said, first of all, it's not hot. And secondly, there's no chicken on it. The little boy said, well, that's just the name of it, mister. Well, I think sometimes we have people who claim to be Christians, but they're not much more than a hot chicken sandwich. That's just the name. But there's more to being a Christian than just calling yourself one. You see, a Christian is a person who has a mind through which Jesus Christ thinks. We are to have the mind or the disposition of the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 2 and verse 5. And a Christian is a person who has a voice through which Jesus Christ speaks. Jesus said, you go into all of the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And a Christian is a person who has eyes through which Jesus sees. We're taught that we're to lift up our eyes and to look on the fields, for they're indeed white already unto harvest. And a Christian is a person who has ears through which Jesus Christ hears. And we're to hear the cries of people who are in, help, who are in need of help today. In Acts the 16th chapter and verse 9, Paul heard the call, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And there are people that are calling out today for help all over the world. They're saying, come and help us. Some of them need physical help. All people are needing spiritual help today. And a Christian is a person who has hands through which Jesus Christ works. Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. For the night cometh when no man can work. Well, we have our work to do. And as we call ourselves Christians, we're to be involved in that work. And a Christian is a person whose life is to be lived for Jesus Christ. Listen to Paul in Philippians, the first chapter, and verse 21. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So there is a, this is a name of distinction. Because it shows the one whom I follow. But this also is a name that shows that I belong to Jesus Christ. That, that I am the property of Jesus Christ. Someone may come to your house and they may begin to ask you certain questions. They say, is this your home or, or do you rent? Do you, have you leased this home? You say, well, it's, it, it's mine. This is our Land, this is our lot, and this is our house, this is our car, this is our furniture, these are our children. All of that shows that, that, that it's your property. Well, we are the property of Jesus Christ. And, and, and he can claim us as his property if we call ourselves Christian. Well, you say, well, how, how can that be? Well, first of all, he created us. He made us. He was with the Father in the very beginning of time when everything was created. And all things were created by Him and for Him. Colossians 1, 13 and following. And in John the first chapter, the Bible reads like this in the very first verse. In the beginning was the Word. 
And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And without Him was not anything made that hath been made. And that includes us. We are here because of Jesus Christ. We're not self-made people. In Psalms 100, the Bible says, It is He that hath made us, not we ourselves. And then we belong to Him by right of redemption. He's the one who went to the cross to redeem us from our sins, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7 tells us, So we belong to Jesus Christ. He made us. He redeemed us. He bought us. We're bought with a price. 1 Corinthians 6 verses 19 and 20. And the price was Jesus' life. So when I say that I am a Christian, that means that I belong to Christ. When you're a Christian, you are married to Christ. In Romans the 7th chapter, and in verse 4, Paul talked about this marriage between the child of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. We were become dead to the law, but the body of Christ, that we should be married to another. Well, to whom are we married? To him who was raised from the dead, and that's Jesus. And I belong to Jesus Christ, and I am married to Jesus Christ. And thus, it just seems logical, if I am married to him, that I would wear his name. Jesus is the husband, and the church is his bride. And we are to wear the name of the husband. And when I say I am a Christian, I'm wearing the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The name Christian is a patronymic name. Now, that's not a very confusing word if you stop and think about it. The word patriarch is a word uh, that is a portion of the word patronymic. And the word patronymic means that it's something that is formed after one's founder or father. Let me give you some illustrations of patronymic names. The word Washington, D.C., is a patronymic name, or the name Washington, the, the state called Washington, is also a patronymic name. F founded after the father of our country, that is George Washington. Pennsylvania is a patronymic name because it comes from William Penn, Pennsylvania. The automobile that has Ford written on it is a patronymic name. That comes from Henry Ford. And so we are to wear a patronymic name. And the name Christian is, patronymic is a patronymic name. Actually, the name Israel was patronymic as well. You remember God changed Jacob's name to Israel. The Hebrew word for God, in, in, if we were to spell it in English, is E-L. And the name of God was embodied in the very name that they wore. Israel, Prince of God. And so that was a patronymic name. 
And when I say that I am a Christian, I'm wearing the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is not necessary for one to be more than a Christian. I was talking to someone just recently about this matter, and, and I said, if you will become a Christian in the New Testament way, that is, by going back to the Bible and, and doing it just like the Bible talks about, then you'll be nothing more than just a Christian. Because if we were to go back to the first century, when, the church, when, the, when Christianity had its beginning, when the church had its beginning, when the first gospel sermon was preached, and when people as believers in Jesus Christ repented of their sins, and when they confessed that they believed in Jesus Christ with all of their heart, and when they were baptized into Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, and when they were added to the church for which Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, they were just Christians. That's all. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if throughout the religious community today that we would just refer to ourselves as nothing more than just Christians? Not this kind of a Christian or that kind of a Christian, but just Christians. Just be a Christian and a Christian only. The Bible only makes Christians only of anyone, anywhere, anytime. And when we obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're just wearing the name Christian. And I would urge you to become a Christian today. It is so important that you become a Christian. Well, someone says, well, Brother Lambert, I'm not really certain that I understand how one becomes a Christian. Then I would invite you to turn to the 8th chapter of Acts in your Bible. And in the 8th chapter of Acts, we have an illustration of how an individual became a Christian in the first century. The occasion is when Philip the evangelist had been preaching in Samaria. And incidentally, he preached Christ, if you'll notice in verse 5 of Acts chapter 8, that he was preaching Jesus Christ to the people. And, and he went down to the city of Samaria preaching Jesus Christ. Now I want you to notice in verse number 12, And when they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, did you notice that? The name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. And then his work was interrupted. If you'll notice in verse number 25, his work was interrupted in order that he might preach the gospel to just one individual. He had been preaching to the multitudes. And now he's going to be preaching to just one man. And this man was a man from Ethiopia. He was a eunuch. He was a man who had a position of authority. And he had been to Jerusalem to worship, and he was on his way home back to his homeland. And this was when Philip appeared to him. And notice verse 26 says, the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Rise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet, or Isaiah the prophet, 
And the Spirit of the Lord said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to the chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. And the place of the scripture he, which he read was this. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and a sheep, a, a, lamb, a sheep to the slaughter, a lamb before his shearer is dumb. So opened he not his mouth, and in his humiliation his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation, for his life was taken from the earth? And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or some other man? Now I want you to notice very carefully, Verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Well, that's the same thing he preached in Samaria, isn't it? And they came to us on their way. As they went on their way, they came to a certain water. And the eunuch said, now, now here's water. Why can't I be baptized? And I want you to know what Philip said to him in verse 37. If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. He answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Friends, the only thing that a preacher has a right to ask you before you are baptized is not this. It's not do you believe that God for Christ's sake hath pardoned your sins. The only biblical question that anyone has a right to ask you is this, do you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God? If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest, that is, you can be baptized. And he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when he, they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more, and the eunuch went on, on his way rejoicing. And now he was a child of God. He was a Christian. He was a Christian. You see, the Bible only just makes Christians of people. What I'd urge you to do is just become a Christian just like this man did. He believed in Christ, and he confessed his faith in Jesus Christ, and he was baptized for the remission of his sins, Acts 2.38. 1 Peter 3.21 tells us all about that. That's what the Bible says. I, somebody says, well, that's not what I've heard other preachers say. Friends, this is what the Bible says. I'll take God, God's word for it any day over a truckload of preachers. I'll tell you that for sure. Our souls are at stake. We'd better do what God says, not what some man says. And so would you not just become a Christian today? Can we help you along that line? We'll assist you in being baptized into Jesus Christ. And until we meet again, may the Lord bless you, keep you, till we meet again. Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. 
If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible Correspondence Course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama, 36580 or call 1-877-711-5214. This is a free call. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bible.